0: Welcome to the Unabashed Gaming Podcast, where we talk about all things tabletop RPG. This week, Susan and I, we take deep breaths and try our hardest to avoid tangents as we discuss pacing in games. We fail miserably, but it's all in good fun, you know? There's also the return of Campaign Pipe Dreams, which we're sure is your favorite section of Unabashed Gaming to listen to. We know it's ours. Enjoy. It is. Uh, hey everyone. Welcome to episode thirty-seven of uh, Unabashed Gaming. My name is David Schimpf. And I'm Susan Stewart. And tonight we are talking about pacing.
1: Woohoo!
2: And
0: all the various definitions that might be included in that discussion of pacing. There's
2: there's, there's a lot. There's, there's quite a lot few. of definitions. So many. At least that are used amongst the gamer
0: community. Absolutely.
2: Um <clears throat> So I think, uh, at the outset, a good definition of pacing is, uh, an ebb and flow of tension. Mm. Yeah, actually, uh, I think that's how the angry DM words it. And I thought it was an excellent wording. So indeed, I think I pretty much just ripped that right off from him.
0: That's okay. Most of, uh, most of my talk about the ebb and flow of, uh, of tension will probably re- be ripped wholeheartedly from, uh, what is it? From Extra Credits, that YouTube series about uh, designing video games.
2: Oh, yeah. That's mm. very good. And you can get a lot of information about good uh, good pacing from video game creators and um, authors of novels and uh, screenwriters oh, for TV shows and movies.
0: Actually, um, yeah. If you... Yeah. Uh, Actually, if you Google pacing, one of the first image results that shows up is actually the, uh, the charts of the tension and, uh, and relaxings of, uh, the first Star Wars film.
2: Oh, very good.
0: So not the Phantom Menace, but like the the,
2: actual first one, A New Hope.
0: The first Star Wars film, A New Hope that, you know, Star Wars, the first one. Star Wars, the first. Episode
2: four. Exactly. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Very good. Because we still haven't heard from episodes one through three yet.
2: Yeah, no, I don't. hmm, Yeah, I don't know what they're talking about.
0: Yeah, one day maybe. Yeah, I mean there was (laughs) there was that period in like you know the uh, the early thousands when we were all on acid or something, but Mm, I I don't remember that very well. Still waiting for those prequels. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: In any case, pacing.
2: Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, pacing
0: is a uh, it's it's sort of a uh, it's it's kind of like halfway between a science and an art, really. I mean, you're you need to as a GM discover what the uh obviously what the uh what the structure of your story needs to be mm-hmm. um, and obviously dole out either you know rests or increases intention you know uh, appropriately
2: yeah and you'll uh you'll find as a gm the more you practice it the better you get at feeling it it's a big feel kind of thing you'll get in a groove for how to do it properly um and hand-in-hand hand with pacing goes the tempo of any session or campaign or anything like that. So we'll talk about that some as well. Indeed. Yeah.
0: So, so where would you like to start talking then, Susan?
2: Um, well, let's, uh, let's maybe start with uh, something really basic you can do. Start paying attention to... Uh, to the pacing of a game session. Mm. We'll just start with the game session because I think it's the easiest. Indeed. Um, And, uh, of course, as a warning, you'll have to get used to your players because they'll have some input into how they like a a game's pace to go. But we'll get into that in a bit. Anyway, so a really basic thing you can do is as you're going through your session, just mark some arrows on a piece of paper.
1: Mm.
2: So you have, like, an up arrow... For an up moment, then that can be either something that's like rising tension or something good that happens to your party.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You can have a lateral arrow where there doesn't really, there isn't really a change in anything that's going on. Mm. you can have a down arrow for something like really horrible that happened that, or something that really just like brought the whole pace down.
0: Okay. So that's, so, uh, that's sort of a very Robin Law's uh, Hamlet's hit points approach.
2: Is it I haven't actually read that, so it's, uh, I got it's, it from somebody else.
0: And it's a it's a very good it's a very good idea to use uh for such things and uh I'm sure it's been used quite frequently in probably more than tabletop RPGs. So mm-hmm. um yeah, it's I agree that's a uh, that's a great, you know, starting way to begin with uh with figuring out how to pace your games. It's something mm-hmm. that I don't do myself yet, but I could see sort of uh Taking it like one step further and actually including, you know, maybe if you were OCD enough, including some timestamps with those, (laughs) you know, those ups, downs, and straight arrows, just to sort of figure out exactly how long it's been since you've had some rising action, and, Mm -hmm. some, you know, increase in that tempo. So you can really, you know, try to try to manage your characters and your players expectations, and, you know, keep them engaged.
2: Yeah. And also, you want to make sure you don't have too many of the same arrows in a row. Oh, of course. You know, you don't want to have three good things happen in a row. Right. I mean, mean, if you get to that point, you got to have something different as the next arrow.
0: Yeah. Because, I mean, essentially, like if you have three arrows like pointing upwards in a row, that that basically kind of translates into a straight line.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Which
0: isn't interesting.
2: It's not interesting at all. It's not interesting at all. And, um, you know, that's a huge problem with pacing in a role-playing game is you want to have action and excitement all the time, and you want every one of your sessions to just be so memorable. Right. But then nothing is memorable because there's just so much, and your players get overwhelmed.
0: It's true. And then there's also the, uh, there's also the inherent conflict and in the fact that um, some of the down errors obviously have to deal with setbacks and losses, And players don't really, players don't initially think that they're actually coming to games in order to experience that up and down process. They kind of, in the moment when they're rolling dice, they really want to continue moving on that upward slope. They don't really want to have, you know, the situation where something is going to fail, you know, despite their best efforts. Mm
1: -hmm. So Mm
0: -hmm. it's, it's difficult to, uh, it's difficult to plot in favor of, uh, in favor of, you know, creating that downward movement. Because, you know, sometimes you're dealing with players who aren't really expecting it to go that way, and they're That's not realizing true. that, you know, always succeeding is, you know, going to create an uninteresting situation for themselves.
2: It's true, and I will use our most recent campaign that you've run, our Space by Spacebook game, as an excellent example. Well, One of my favorite things that came out of this game was my character's deep-seated hatred for lamb innovations. Mm. Um, which started from the very first like prequel session because I failed a role to get like my own monopoly on food service in to the motor vehicle department. That's right. I failed it miserably, and so Lamb Innovations sprung up.
0: That's right. Like, you're, you're right one, in front of me. Your one die failure caused the creation of your <laughs> nemesis corporation. Indeed. And they um, showed up for the rest of the campaign, like every session. It's very true. They
2: were involved. And in one session in particular, incredibly involved and just, oh,
0: mm and that's reaction kind of way. Yeah, you know, that's just uh, you know, that's just me being a good GM and bringing in, you know, player interest and everything. But actually, I kind of I'm kind of embarrassed about space my space because to me, it kind of felt that instead of like having that upward arrow like s- sequence, it just sort of felt <laughs> like it had a downward arrow sequence. Like really <laughs> depressing and really just like, you know, trotting down on you guys. So
2: and that may be why i loved it so much i don't know
0: <laughs> yeah it's you know like uh, it's like call of cthulhu but in the fate system and without all the horrible monsters just me being terrible to everyone i was cthulhu yeah.
2: it was great i loved i love the game uh-huh. i loved it um but i may also just be like addicted to horrible things happening to my characters i don't know i'm turning into dave you should play Penn apparently Dragon i clearly i would really like to actually yeah i'm really like bummed out It's the first time you started playing pendragon you didn't sell it very well like it sounded like the most boring thing ever mm. i was like yeah no thanks but it's actually really interesting now that i've been l- listening to the actual place i'm like i want to play
0: yeah I, I would say that um Larkin, <laughs> who is unable to be recording with us tonight and um would probably blush if we said this is fantastic at incorporating those ups and downs. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if, you know, perhaps my ups and downs are more towards the downclining angle and other players are more on the upward angle, It's still, uh, it still creates that interest. And obviously it's not Larkin's fault that, you know, I'm on a downward slope. I'm just cursed.
2: <laughs> Clearly, because the sessions you're not there, like everybody has horrible luck. Yeah, When you're there... You're the only one. Mm. It's beautiful.
0: It's it's a wonderful balance, which makes me, yeah. yeah I yeah. kind of have that, you know, personal stake in the game where, you know, <laughs> I should probably stop talking about Pendragon because we're talking about pacing.
2: That's fine because um, I think you have a really, this will bring me into one of my other points is uh, you have a really great way of almost rewarding people for failure, Mm. but rewarding people like in a plot kind of way or a character development kind of way. Mm. And you can actually, you know, use some, uh, some game design tricks to do this on purpose to your players, to make them addicted to something by, uh, you know, just like training a dog, you know, you don't always give them like something useful and interesting Sometimes you give them something useful and not interesting. Sometimes you get them something interesting but not useful. But sometimes it's both, mm. and you get addicted to it. And you're really good at doing that with people's failures,
0: Dave, <laughs> which is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
2: You know, a lot of GMs just focus on the successes, and uh, and you, you know, and so then your players really get frustrated with the the failure part, but if you make the failure part just as fun, Mm. if not more fun. Oh, definitely. You know, they won't have a problem with that. And, you know, part of the reason a game will really slow down is that your players are afraid of making the wrong choice. Right. You know, that's and some people use the term analysis paralysis, which just makes me want to smack people. Just
0: that rhyming (laughs) scheme. Just yeah, right.
2: It's just silly. Um, but people definitely, when they're faced with a decision, they'll slow down if they're afraid of being
0: wrong. Mm. But if
2: they know something fun will happen either way, they'll be less afraid of making a choice.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that's probably one of my main problems with uh, with a lot of uh, pre-written scenarios and campaigns is that they really only have one way for things to go. And if there is like mm-hmm. a failure or some sort of brick wall that's hit by players, I mean, really, you're you're kind of forced to say, hey, guys, you screwed up. You want to try a different way of figuring that out rather than you know, being <laughs> like, hey, guys, you screwed up. Let's do this completely other thing that you had no idea was going to happen. And then I also didn't really know it was going to happen until like 30 seconds ago. Right. So let's have fun.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And those are when some of the best sessions happen, right? Because oh, like everybody's surprised by what happens and they make it happen and it's fun. I agree versus your standard well we're going out adventuring and we're gonna kill some stuff, we'll be victorious, and we'll return home with riches and glory. Yeah. Like you can only do that so many times before it gets
0: boring. It's true, and I think one of my favorite subversions of that exact uh that exact plot line is something that you did in Iron Kingdoms with the uh <laughs> with the Gatorman in the sewers. And, oh yes. Um <laughs> I don't think I've ever been, like, so engaged in a game before where I was just exactly waiting for things to happen. Not because, you know, necessarily I was interested in, like, what my character would do. I was kind of interested in seeing exactly how far, like, everything was going to progress. I should probably rewind a little bit. There were Gatorman in the sewers putting on plays with, you know, human cadaver marionettes that had been stitched together <laughs> out of other humans altogether. And we were brought in as, you know, like, the first test audience for this. Our, our game... unbeknownst
2: to you guys yeah (laughs) yeah so
0: um no it was it was hilarious because i was really trying to figure out exactly when they would turn on us so i just kept on stalling my my actions and you just sort of kept on going with this this terribly nightmarish menagerie of of like you know the 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 standard you know shakespearean you know theater in the round type of you know play design and i was i was hooked and i was horrified and oh god (laughs) I was yeah, I think that's probably why um Nari and Benjamin just started torturing and killing everyone after that. They just didn't want to have it to deal broke with anything them a little bit. <laughs> we just didn't want to do, have to deal with anything that horrible ever again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned that um game. It's one of my crowning achievements, I think, as a GM. Mm. But um it actually started as a pre gen scenario, mm. which most of my stuff does not. Yeah. But um, there's like this Gatorman in the sewer adventure in the Urban Adventures book. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that's a cool idea, but this is really boring. Right. How can I make it more interesting? And so this whole thing just like snowballed out of that. And so the like Gatorman brood mother got turned into the director. Oh. And <laughs> <laughs> All of his little minions were like the baby Gator Men, and <laughs> like there were the bouncers who were the warrior Gator Men, and it went beautifully. It really did. And then I just had to go on to the um, uh, what is that? What website. No, 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 the oh, it's some foundation what is it called i don't know i'm gonna have to look it up and we'll put it in the show notes but it's this whole website devoted to these um really creepy like incident reports but not incident reports like scientific study reports almost like lab reports Mm. of these like supernatural horror objects (laughs) that like some of them like get, have given me nightmares for the rest of my life, mm. like reading them, because they're all written up like
0: like they're real, of,
2: official document style, like they're real, and the whole website like has that um, that ambiance, like they keep up the illusion that this is real, and it's all classified information and mm. <clears throat> stuff like that. And um, so, anyway, I got the play that I used for that um, for that game off of this website. Yeah. I think it's the SCP Foundation hmm. is what it's called. I'll have to double check and we'll put it in the show notes because yeah. it's great and if you want to read things for hours that are just the most terrifying things ever.
0: Which you should. It's
1: beautiful.
2: Yeah. So anyway, so this play was kind of like a King in Yellow style play
1: mm.
2: where like,
1: <clears throat>
2: um, like some like some settings of this play like it would just go through the play and it was fine mm. but sometimes this like strange alien dude would show up in the play and everybody that all the actors in the play would continue on like he's supposed to be there and he's and the play gets altered mm. when he's there. So he's actually like a part of it. Right. And then like all of the actors like murder themselves gruesomely on state gruesomely on stage and like the audience gets killed and stuff. It's crazy. Oh man. So that was the inspiration for that. We're getting way off topic as per usual.
0: As per <laughs> usual. We're setting our own pacing here.
2: That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So, yeah. So, where did we start off with uh, before we got off on these various tangents? Um,
2: oh, let's see. We were talking about let's see. We did the arrows, yeah, we and were, then we we're talking about players having trouble with decision making, hmm. slowing them down, and uh, fear of failure. Take away the fear of failure. That's it's right. A big end.
0: Right. So, um, yeah. So another uh, another cons. Or conceivably another uh, another perception of the definition of pacing could probably also just be exactly how the game moves and how it engages players mm-hmm. in such a way that they don't uh, that they don't have you know continuous breaks from the actual game itself uh, breaks being you know tangents that we just went off onto um, yeah you know checking their phones <laughs> needing to look up rules and that kind of um, that comes from probably both a, you know a synergy between um, obviously an engaging and. Uh, An interesting story, both for the players and the characters, but also just sort of familiarity between, you know, players and mechanics, and, you know, either Mm -hmm. a willingness to, uh, to ignore mechanics occasionally or a willingness to sort of fudge them without needing to break, you know, the, the flow of, uh, of things, I would say.
2: Right. If you can, and I'm, I'm horrible at this. Like, I need to know what the actual answer is, but Mm. try to, um, to just make it up on the fly, write yourself a note and promise your players that you'll look up the actual answer later for next oh, yeah. session. Yeah. You know, and you can post about it on whatever website or Facebook or whatever you guys use to get together if you use one or send out emails or whatever, just tell them at the next session, but try not to look up stuff. It'll break everything.
1: Yeah.
0: It'll, (laughs) it puts you into a spiral where, you know, if you're not paying attention to the game, obviously the players aren't going to be paying attention to the game. Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely. I'd say that, you know, one of the most important things to maintaining, you know, maintaining flow and maintaining pace is try to keep the, uh, the rules interruptions as few and far between as possible.
2: Yeah. Um, And I think we can get into some tempo of your game Mm. off of that point. And, um, that's how fast the game feels to Hmm. you and your players, um, which can be a little bit different, you know, as the GM, I think oftentimes your game feels slower than it does to your players because you have an idea of what's going on already, right? While your players may be in this semi panic state because they don't know the answer and they don't know what's going on. And so their brains working so fast and you're just sitting there going like oh my god guys just look in the drawer just look in the drawer just look in the drawer or right.
0: whatever <laughs> right because you know sometimes you have uh sometimes you have a plot line to make before the uh, before the conclusion of the session so you're like hey guys we got like 15 minutes left just just figure out this really really simple to me not that e- not that easy to you a thing to figure out and let's go
2: yeah right exactly and um And then the other part of that is you need to know, like, what kind of a tempo the scene that you're doing needs.
1: Mm.
2: You know, like a combat scene or a chase scene needs a really fast tempo. You need things to move. And in a lot of game systems, the combat system can be slow.
0: Yeah, it's really where things uh, in a lot of systems, you see that bogging down where, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it sort of degenerates into, you know, just static dice rolls uh, like a, you know, like a Final Fantasy, you know, combat system where you've got two players on the side of an invisible line, and they just keep rolling until someone's, you know, hit point bar disappears. Right. And, yeah, I think, um, I think that might be a, a serious problem with, uh, with you know, pacing and flow between, uh, you know, in in games themselves, because there's just that interesting, or that, you know, that really infuriating dichotomy between, you know, being able to narrate hours and days of uh, of game time in a few seconds and then needing to slow down to you know what seems like a snail's pace to narrate you know a few minutes of combat where right yeah so so yeah. so
2: what what tips do you have dave for getting combat to feel a little bit more exciting
0: um First, I think like the best tip, well, I mean, there are a lot of tips and I can't really call this one the best, so scratch <laughs> what I just said. I think a good tip is um, trying to figure out a way to, uh, to you know, teach the players as much of the combat system as they, uh, as they need to know before you get into anything really huge. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously if you're playing like a D20 system... Uh, like, if you're playing D&D, you uh, you set up, you know, small non-combats that, you know, kind of explain to players, hey, you know, you're going to be using the D20 to attack, just like you're be- going to be using it in all of your skill rolls that you've been using. You know, you're going to be adding this modifier, and this is going to be the time where you break out any die other than the D20 is, you know, for combat damage. Right. So, I mean, you can do that with you know having someone fall off a building you can do that with um you know just a a non combat encounter where someone needs to trip someone or hit someone with a sword but not have it degenerate into you know a full- on brawl
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so
0: I think uh, I think trying to introduce players and familiarize themselves with some uh, familiarize them with the combat system is a good preliminary step to really uh to really speeding up combats but I think honestly trying to keep combats as low round as possible is probably what I would consider you know to be the best idea. So I mean don't don't put players into a situation where they're fighting someone in a static uh setting. You know mm-hmm. if they're if they're fighting someone in a city, well it's only a few rounds before the guards show up. Or if they're fighting someone, you know, on a mountain pass, there's only a few rounds before I don't know, um, wild animals get interested in the dead bodies or, um, or, you know, people's, um, morale breaks or reinforcements show up that, you know, will totally overpower the players. Mm -hmm. Um, just sort of trying to figure out, um, various time constraints that, um, won't make it feel too arbitrary to the players that, Hey, you know, that you're basically saying, Hey guys, you know, this took longer than two rounds. Uh, so you lose. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Um, and that's probably why we're such fans of really deadly combat systems Mm, where people can drop in a hit. Yeah. Maybe two. Um, but I ran across a really excellent tip that I'm trying to incorporate more into my game mastering in general, but especially combat. Mm. And that is that your players kind of need to be trained to be with it. Mm. Um, you know, it's really easy as a game master, especially if you like your players, to uh, to say, okay, well, now it's your turn. You know, what's what are you going to be doing? And they say, hmm, well, and they think for a while and they plan out their turn when it's their turn. Right, And then they act and they go and it's the next person's turn and they do, probably do the same thing.
0: Because
2: mm. it's hard to pre-plan because the combat can change so much from your last turn. Oh, definitely. But you can teach your players to, te- to, to think on their feet more without mm. a lot of inten- intense planning mm. by they have to start saying what they're doing. Or they have to start asking pertinent questions and then say what they're going to do. Or they get passed over. Right. And I've had GMs do this to me as a player because I am the worst at pre-planning my combat turn. Hmm. But I never was mad about it. I was like, yeah, all right, I'm taking forever. Please do skip skip me and I will have a plan for next time. Yeah, definitely. And... Um, and I really want to start doing that a little bit more with my own combat. Like, it is your turn, and you need to do something. Right. So, that's my big tip for keeping your tempo up in mm. combat.
0: Yeah, sort of uh, maintain that immediacy even in the uh, even in the individual turns themselves.
2: Right. And, you know, we've talked a little bit, like, in Iron Kingdom, since we're both running that currently, um, about how the combat's a little bit more tactical
1: mm.
2: um but the decision that your players will come to if they've thought about their turn for five minutes during their turn yeah or if you make them think about it immediately is very minimal right you know they're not gonna get five minutes worth of improvement on their action by taking that 5 minutes to think about it. Right, cuz there's You know only, what I
0: mean? Yeah, there's only a certain number of things they can actually do on their turn. Right. So, you know, the difference between, you know, moving and shooting at this guy and standing still and shooting at this other guy, you know, aren't really all that significant in the course of, you know, an entire game session. Right. It's it's not something that they'll be remembering, which is I think probably one of the more problematic aspects that I can think of about RPGs is that players don't tend to remember combats with a frequency that they do, you know, the non combat situations.
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: And
2: the reason for that, in my opinion, hmm. is that your story is really all about the characters. Yeah. And if the combat's not developing the characters in some aspect, it's not going to stick with them.
0: Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I'm um I'm still trying to figure out a way to uh, to rectify that situation where combats become as memorable and as engaging as actual role-playing sessions. Um and I think that may just, you know, mean that, you know, more plot and more prep goes into combats than, you know, than goes into, you know, pre-planning uh, you know, nemesis inspiration and intention. And mm-hmm. yeah. So, you know, it's
2: part of it is, um, is that, you know, your combat has to be there just for, for more reason than just to have combat, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: you know, it has to have a purpose and, you know, every session is not going to be your big climactic session that people are going to remember forever, but that doesn't mean the rest of your sessions are boring either and forgettable. They're just the ones that are laying the groundwork for the big climactic
1: mm-hmm.
2: session. So your combats can have all sorts of different purposes. And this is also a good point if you have a lot of like hack and slasher kind of players in your game, oh, and they want to do a lot of combat. Your combats have to have different tempos and pacing and mean different things and be different kind of scenes because you need those in a game for good pacing. Right. But if they want to be killing stuff a lot, you kind of have to hybridize it a little bit.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a very uh you know, variations that you need to sort of put in. Otherwise, it, right. Yeah, it becomes static.
2: Right, like maybe um, maybe they're killing this basilisk, um, because they need its heart to poison somebody that they hate for something further on. And so, like, the point isn't just killing the basilisk. Maybe it's even already dead when they get there, or, I, you know, they they have to fight off some scavengers that are eating its corpse. Right. <clears throat> Um. Or maybe they're having this great, like, conversation with whoever they're fighting with as they go along
1: mm-hmm.
2: and are exchanging blows. You don't have to be silent in combat, either.
0: Yeah. That's definitely something that I need to work on, is oh, silence in combat. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. I think my... Uh, it's, it's just sort of that my wisecracks just kind of fall flat. Like, <laughs> hey... You handle that hand cannon like a really dumb person. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's probably one of my better, you know, verbal
1: scars.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, just think about like some of your favorite moments, like video games and movies and TV shows. Oh, yeah. Like. Nothing's more exciting than that moment when Luke and Darth Vader are fighting and Darth Vader's like I'm your father. Who's your daddy? That's right. And that's in the middle of combat. Yep. You know? You can you can drop bombs like that. Oh, definitely.
0: <clears throat> Man.
2: So yeah. Yeah. combat's not just like big climax kill the bad guy
0: definitely there can absolutely be some story in there and there definitely should be some story in there Mm -hmm. it uh it'll help you know it'll help engage the players that aren't exactly into combat and you know aren't really there for it but it'll it'll get their you know creative role player juices going while you're trying to figure out you know how to best kill that power gamer who knows every in and out of the system
2: right well and it also can be great for your power gamer maybe give them a little taste of role-playing
0: oh yeah exactly
2: you know they might find out that they like it you know it's not it's not impossible for your player types to switch types
0: oh definitely yeah especially you know when you're in various systems i know i know i players change types between the types of games that they're that they're engaging in yeah that's so, for sure yeah it's always good to introduce them to new uh, new ideas about, uh, about the hobby itself. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Man, yeah. so <clears throat> let's see. We were at uh, mechanics affecting pace. Mm-hmm. Where should we move on to now?
2: Well, we can talk about uh, maybe a little bit about um, what kind of pace you might want for a different type of scene and mm-hmm. what kind of different scenes you might have for your role-playing game. Mm-hmm. That sounds great so obviously you'll have a combat scene you could have a chase scene things like that mm-hmm. um sometimes you'll have kind of the opposite which is your planning scene or some sort of you know character development scene that's kind of low-key yeah. you know people are just talking about what's happened or what's going to happen and um you know, there's not a huge time constraint. There's not danger or anything like that. Definitely. So you can have a really slow. So you know, this is where everybody gets to take a break, really, and have you know catch their breath.
1: Yeah, players
0: a, players get to step back and uh, you know try to flex their uh, flex their investigative or uh, or you know socializing muscles a bit.
2: Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really good for the pacing of your game. You need that lull mm-hmm. so you can build up a climax again or build up a climax at all, depending on where you're starting your game from that, that day. But they can also get really dragged out, if especially if it's a planning session. Oh, yeah. So... You know, we've talked before, if you're getting tired of them planning stuff, they're just talking in circles, you can just throw some something exciting in there, like somebody just opens the door and starts shooting
0: or whatever. Or you just throw them directly into the action and say, hey, your plans are, uh, your plans are done. Stuff happens. Now. Right. Right. There's also some more gentle ways you can do
2: it if you don't want to be that kind of an ass. Hmm. <laughs> you can have some reminders, like, you know, the more you guys talk the more the evil villain's going to talk. And so the more prepared you are, the more prepared he's going to be. Right. Or even like, you know what? It's getting late at that night. You guys realize you probably should get some rest Mm -hmm. before your big day of killing people. Oh, definitely. (laughs) And if they still want to keep talking, you can just rack up the penalties for Mm -hmm. their next combat or anything they do the next day
0: most definitely yeah so
2: what other kind of scenes have you got up your sleeve, dave
0: well let's see there's um i mean there's uh, of course we're discussing various types of scenes so you have your action scenes which are you know Mm -hmm. combats chases etc uh you know the investigative the investigative you know plotting scenes which we just discussed where you know it's not exactly action but it's also not exactly exposition where you mm-hmm. um, you know your players are building themselves up for something or they're preparing for something, but they're still being they're still being proactive. I suppose the third type of scene that, that is most common in gaming is just exposition scenes where you're giving players information and those um i I would say that those are the closest to a downward movement in terms of um, in terms of intensity. Because not only are you, you know, you're handing out information that may not even be remembered by players in the future, but you're kind of also expecting them to remember it, so they have that, uh, they have that, you know, pressure on them to, you know, pay attention to what this old man is saying, and also be sure I remember it because it might be useful later, but then again, I have to decide if it's more useful for me to remember what he's saying now or to remember where we are right now or to remember that one piece of detail that you threw in, you know, at the last minute, just to make things a little bit more, you know, engaging for us. So it's um, I would say that uh, if you're going to have any sort of exposition scene um, a good way to do it is to try to have some sort of visual or audio prop to go with it Mm -hmm. just to make sure that, you know, you, you have something that points towards what is going to be important later. So, you know, if the old man says, hey, you know, the, the castle is guarded by, you know, a million and, you know, burning skeletons and, you know, the, the curse word that keeps them living is this, and I have a key to the back door, you know, maybe you, maybe you want to give him the key that has some runes on it that might, you know, might be the curse or like a, a picture of the key or something that mm-hmm. sort of, you know, makes them remember when they get to the castle in two sessions oh, hey, this was the plan, or this was, you know, the plan that was given to us by the old guy, let's decide to follow it or not, instead of, you know, them arriving at at their, you know, intended location and just exper- experiencing that sudden stall where they're looking at it and being like, oh, there's a bunch of skeletons and they're on fire, and what did that old guy say, like, <laughs> four weeks ago?
2: Yeah, yeah, you're right. That can be a real, you know... Uh quagmire for your pacing
0: mm.
2: is uh, an info dump
1: yeah. and
2: uh, I think the best way to avoid it is to just not you know try not to info dump as much as possible
1: yeah.
2: um, you know you can have you, you want to a good way to avoid it is to just kind of trickle the information that they need
1: mm.
2: you know just give them a little bit at a time but in a kind of a steady stream so there's only a little bit for them to remember once
0: yeah, and definitely uh, repeating some, you know, you know important pieces of information, not in the exact same manner that they've been repeated before, but just sort of reinforcing that, hey, even though all this other flavor stuff was mentioned, this is kind of like, you know, the important part of it that you can mm-hmm. try to remember, since I'm saying it to you a few times, the very Pavlovian thing to do, hopefully. Right, right. So, I think that's... Uh, I mean, there's there's definitely a lot of ways to make your exposition more interesting, um, to make it less tedious on the players. Definitely having it not be a giant, you know, six paragraph, you know, uh, just the GM reads from here in a funny voice for like 15 minutes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, you got to try
2: to like limit that stuff to like 30 seconds max. Yeah. Because otherwise your players will just not retain any of it.
0: Right. Yeah, they'll be too busy trying to be witty or, you know, start plotting out, you know, how they're going to kill this old guy to make him shut up. Right. God, there have been video games where I wish I could kill someone who just talked for longer than 30 seconds.
2: Oh, my God, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Man, fucking owl in Legend of Zelda.
2: (laughs) So, uh, so another scene type, and I think this is one that's handled the worst by a lot of people. Mm. And that is like a scene where danger is present and the players are actively doing something, but it's not, you know, killing things. It's not a combat scene. It's like disarming traps or, you know, solving a death puzzle or sneaking
0: past, you know, a sleeping dragon.
2: Yeah, exactly. So that if failure happens, it's gonna suck a Mm. lot and possibly you know uh have some really bad some really down arrows really fast yeah (laughs) if if you know what i mean Mm. um and a lot of times i think that those have such a slow tempo when they're presented to your players you know it's like oh yeah well i'm checking for traps blah, blah 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 i made it yay right there's not a trap Um, you really have to try to keep the tempo up to make it exciting and you have to as the GM really um, try to get across the uh, immediacy and urgency of the situation Mm -hmm. and you can do that like even just by the tone of your voice like I just did I sped up and I talked a little bit faster and more abrupt and um, it just adds a little bit of the urgency even your voice can change the tempo of a scene
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, and, you know, you, uh, it's, it's sometimes a very, you know, pass fail type of situation in those, uh, in those events where, you know, you're trying to avoid something terrible happening. So, um, you know, a lot of people just sort of try to jump immediately into the, Hey, you succeeded. The trap's gone. Or, Hey, you, you know, failed and stumbled over a pile of coins and the dragon wakes up Mm rolling. I think, um, I think making people afraid even through their successes is also kind of a uh, kind of an interesting um, tension builder like you know you, you pull it from like a movie where um, you know someone's trying to disarm a trap in like a very busy fortress they succeed but like you know the disarming sound you know you say well you know, you, you you lift up the plate and you, you separate you know the, the, the spring from its from its receiver and it it clicks loudly in the darkness like or you know you're you're sneaking very well, but you you nudge a pile of coins and you know some of them scatter across the uh, uh, you know across the ground in front of you. You you know like the dragon flinches a little bit.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Or even you can take some of these rolls and roll them behind a DM screen, mm-hmm. so your players don't know what the number was. Yeah, but they have to rely on your description of what happened it can add some tension to what's happening. Like, let's say you're trying to sneak past the dragon and instead of you rolling your sneak roll, the Mm. GM rolls the sneak roll and they say, you know, you're tiptoeing along a few coins slide down the mountain. There's a tinkle. Mm. The dragon shifts. You hear a noise. Right. But then it starts snoring again, and your player will breathe a sigh of relief at that point.
0: Right. And, you know, that's a it's, it's a very narrative way to approach it, and I really do like the concept of it. Unfortunately, in some games, um, you know, there's the, uh, I'd say in, like, Fate, in Savage Worlds, in Iron Kingdoms, um, you know, the second that you say something even slightly setbackish, like well, the trap clicks really loudly when you dis, or like really loudly to you when you disarm it and sort of echoes down the hallway. They're like, Oh, I spend, you know, a point to reroll that because I obviously failed. You can't right. be like, you didn't fail. I'm just doing this narratively. Right. And it, it's sort of, you know, it takes away some of their control over the system, which is, it's, yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of difficult in itself.
2: It is. It's not something that you should do a ton of because your players will get grumpy. They want to roll their own dice. Right. Um, But it can add something to the scene. And yeah, it's hard when you have the option for rerolling and um, things like that.
0: Right. Because then it sort of it brings in the, uh, you know, the save scumming concept or, you know, the same scumming mentality where, you know, if you don't get it exactly perfect, but you you have the ability to, you know, you have extra rolls of typewriter tape to speak in, you know, Resident Evil terms, you know, you can reload and you can, you know, start over from like, you know, where you were, you can quick save and quick load and, you know, make it so that everything goes exactly the way that you want it. And that's, you know, kind of a... It, it's kind of a mentality that, you know, a lot, you know, not every player brings to the table, but at the same time, if, if they have that option and they feel like that, you know, agency is being taken away from them, uh, they will, you know, themselves break the pacing of, of what you're attempting to, to manufacture just to make sure that, you know, they're not getting the short end of the mechanic stick.
2: Right. Right. Right.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and, you know, to go along with that, like combat as well, Mm. Is, you know, don't let them dilly-dally and talk about their plan to get down the hallway forever. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, um, are you checking for traps or not? Okay, go. Right. You know, um, um, so I think that pretty well covers the kinds of scenes you'll have. I think so. Um... And you want to make sure you give your players time to react if there is time to react. You know, if they've just had a big combat, everything's dead. Let them have a little breather. You know, they can chat amongst themselves while they're collecting loot, etc. Yeah, definitely. If there's not time to react, don't let them, you know. Don't don't let them talk about what's happening next as they're getting surrounded by, you know, a mob of bandits. Mm -hmm. That are really mad that you just killed their favorite jackalope. Right. You know, they have to dive right into whatever's happening next. They either need to defuse the situation or they need to kill everything or whatever. Mm -hmm. Don't let them plan on what they're going to do. Someone needs to jump in and act. Right. Uh, Which brings me to my next point, which is a lot of GMs, myself included, will set a scene... And then they'll just ask the table in general, what do you do? Mm. What do you guys do?
0: That is my favorite method of jamming,
2: Right? <clears throat> and you'll notice that you get like some blank looks for a minute. And then everybody looks at everybody else. Not so much in our group because we're all attention whores. And we're yeah. all like, oh, me. Right. But a lot of games, everybody like isn't necessarily going to want to be the first one to jump in there. Mm. So you can ask somebody specifically. And it also works in, like, our group where everybody's jumping in. You just ask somebody specifically. They're the one that's reacting. Right. Um, and it's okay if they ask somebody else what they want to do or they start talking to other people. It just makes something happen immediately. If you're like, okay, Dave, what do you do? I stab the dragon in <laughs> the back.
0: Wait, no, you're I'm right. not Scott.
2: You're uh, like, yeah. I jump off a cliff and stab it in the neck. Yeah, and that's... everyone else is like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get to do
0: anything cool now. Yeah. Oh. Um,
2: but it can help your game keep moving. Oh, definitely. So you don't have that, um, I don't know, what do you guys want me to do?
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, so that's... um. Yeah, it's, it definitely helps if you're, you know, playing that kind of game to have a group that, you know, is familiar with your style, and that you're familiar with their style and comfortable enough that you're going to know that if you ask them that question, you know, people are going to be volunteering. Um, right. And of course, you know, in that sort of situation also, I'm sure there are other GMs that also have this, um, you know, this nice cohesive relationship with their players, is to make sure that you're calling on the people that aren't, um, you know, that aren't really putting anything forward very often, Mm-hmm. you know, to to make sure that, you know, not only everyone is included, but everyone sort of has a say in, you know, the, the progression of the game. I think that's probably one of the things that irks me the most about some games that I've played in, none of yours, obviously. <laughs> Let me just wipe this brown from my nose. Um, but, you know, there there are some games where where the GM, you know, either intentionally or unintentionally because you can't really think of, you know, ways to include the other players. You know, they focus on one character for like a 10 for like a 20-minute stretch. You know, the, mm-hmm. the the rogue that sneaks ahead to scout ahead in the dungeon. You know, you just get like 15-20 minutes of just, well, you get this and then there's a hallway and then you go down that hallway and then you get this. And then you get this, make another roll, and then you get this. Um, and then everyone else is just sort of sitting back there twiddling their thumbs. Right. And it's,
2: it's, it's hard to manage those sorts of situations.
0: Yeah. It's definitely one of the reasons why you don't split the party.
2: Yeah. But you know, everybody does. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And you know, I've heard a lot of different ways to deal with this. One being you just make sure you're switching back and forth. And I try to do it like if there's a good cliffhanger or if I've been talking to these people for more than a minute or two, Right, you know, Then it's time to switch on to somebody else. Usually there's a good breathing point every, you know, few minutes. Right. Um, Another way I've heard is giving an initiative order out when the parties are split. Mm -hmm. So, like, Bob and Sarah have, you know, a 19 and... Jordan and Pasquale have 12 and (laughs) Rosa has four, Mm. you know? And so you go in initiative order and everybody gets like a turn kind of like in combat for something that's going on in their scene.
0: Mm, Definitely.
2: I think it's a good way to keep things moving. I'm not sure I could keep track of it as a GM.
0: It's I'm sure some sort of visual cue would probably be super helpful in that situation. You Mm -hmm. know, where you're, you know, you have, you know, this group has like a pink post-it note and, you know, this player off by himself has a green post-it note and, you know, they're, they hold it up when they're doing something, you know, so A, they feel like a, you know, a jackass for holding up this pink, you know, post-it note for like five <laughs> minutes at a time.
1: Right. And,
0: you know, at the same time, so you kind of have that visual cue of, hey, their arm is starting to shake a little bit and their face is turning super red. <laughs> Maybe I should call on that other person right now.
2: Yeah, good point. Yeah, excellent point. We're
0: good. <laughs> Indeed. Oh. well, we're at uh, we're at the fifty minute mark, which usually indicates the time where we start uh, doing campaign pipe dreams. Is there any uh, last words we have about campaign pacing?
2: Um. Well, we've mostly talked about session pacing. Indeed. For uh, for this episode, maybe we'll have to do campaign pacing for next episode sounds good i little... think that's a whole other can of worms
0: oh god so much yeah this is <laughs> i mean yeah individual session pacing you know this is an art itself the uh, campaign pacing is like phd science
2: right yeah. right and uh we touched on it a little bit briefly with our uh, last iron kingdoms
0: discussion definitely
2: but uh, I think we can go more in depth. So maybe that's what we'll do next time, huh?
0: I agree. Uh, campaign pacing and narrative structure could really be a, a good talking point for next session. Yeah, they can go hand session. in hand. Absolutely. That'll be good.
2: Yeah, excellent.
0: So yeah, let's uh, let's transition over to, uh, to the pipe dreams. All right. And I know you always have pipe dreams, so I'll let you start.
2: Oh, you're going to let me start this time. <laughs> Very good. Well, I'm really... Uh, I'm really, you know, knee deep in my, uh, in my new Iron Kingdoms game, Mm. which is going well, it's going well, um, have another, the next sessions next weekend, so, uh, haven't had anything since our last episode, but, um, uh, I'm really trying to structure my games more, um, you know, I'm really trying to focus on how my pacing's going and keeping things kind of episodic and, um, you know, kind of managing a story arc so it arcs fast. Definitely. And most of my story arcs are really slow. Oh, yeah. Um, so I'm trying to mix that up a little bit, have fast story arcs, and slow story arcs, and things like that. Um, so my imagination hasn't been running too wild. Mm. Um I've been thinking a little bit more about this dragon fantasy campaign I want to do. Mhm. Cuz it needs to happen.
0: Oh, absolutely. Going
2: to make it happen. You should. And uh I'm actually thinking it would be really fun to make it kind of this fantasy political intrigue game.
1: Mhm.
2: And the dragons being the um uh the main political players mm. and the adventurers being, you know, their pawns basically. Yeah, definitely. Um I think that there's a lot of fun that could be had there. And um it actually kind of reminds me of a book a book series I read as a child that uh started with uh, I believe it's called "Dealing with Dragons" mm. by a woman named Patricia Reed. Hmm. I think it's W R E D E. Yeah, and it's really great. It's about this princess. It's mm-hmm. in this kind of this tongue and cheek mm. fantasy world, mm. and it follows this princess as the main character who doesn't like doing anything princessy, and so um, like it's regularly arranged that like princesses get abducted by giants and dragons and things like that um specifically so that they can be rescued by a handsome prince to get married well (laughs) okay yeah definitely (laughs) um so it's all very like set up Mm. and uh like they would pay the giant to abduct their princess (laughs) but yeah anyway so (laughs) So this princess just is fed up with the whole thing. She hates being a princess. The whole thing's ridiculous. So she runs away. Mm. And she ends up, like, making a deal with a dragon to be their princess. Mm. So basically she does all the, like, cooking and cleaning and, like, organizes the dragon's scroll library and, um, you know, things like that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, uh, she's, like, the only princess that's like not there against their will in hopes of a prince rescuing them and so she has to deal with all these princes trying to rescue her all the time Mm. and she hates it so she's like putting up signs and things it's hilarious
1: yeah
2: uh but anyway the whole dragon community that's involved with this is very, uh, is a very interesting selection of characters. And there's a lot of like infighting and political intrigue and stuff going on. Mm. So I think that, but a little more grim dark than a uh, young adult. <laughs>
0: yeah. I think that sounds great.
2: Yeah. So that's where that, campaign pipe dream is going
0: nice well that sounds like a lot of fun
2: it should be it should be a lot of fun and i'm also uh trying to get used to the roll 20 online gaming system Mm. we're gonna we're gonna flagship that with my iron kingdom stress test
0: nice i'm i'm looking forward to that i'm that might actually tie into my campaign pipe dream a little bit (laughs)
2: Oh, very good!
0: Indeed, um, I'm also kind of uh, I'm am also kind of interested in uh, in incorporating uh, rule d20 into uh, uh, a Savage Fallout game that I want to start or that I want to jump back into because Perfect. I had so much fun with Savage Fallout the last time we ran it.
2: That was fun, and I still um, tell stories about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I uh, <laughs> you know it's uh, the the creator of Savage Fallout, or, you know, the reviser of Savage Fallout, actually, since he has a bunch of other people linked on his, uh, on his free PDF, RascalDick, um, he re- released a revised um, rulebook, um, or just revisions to his rulebook, uh, late last year, and I, uh, I promised him that I would run Savage Fallout sometime in the future... And you know, being such a huge fan of the setting and the system, and you know, just loving the hell out of super mutants and ghouls and humans, you know, interrelating and dealing with the you know the collapse of society, um, makes me really want to go back to you know the the Pacific Coast wasteland and come up with a campaign where players are um, are hired by the Crimson Caravan to uh, to sort of do like a. Uh, do kind of like a northward uh, expansion, like uh, oh, so like scout out caravan routes to you know like Washington and Canada. So get a little bit more of the, uh, uh, you know, a little bit more of the coast, a little bit more of the climate on the coast. Um, some of the some of my most favorite uh, memories of uh, of the Fallout games, specifically like New Vegas and um, the much uh, maligned uh, Fallout Tactics Brotherhood of Steel. Were there, um, their transition from you know standard desert wasteland to you know like irradiated forest? And you know, because not everything was blown up by the bombs, like you know, mm-hmm. there were certain areas that are just you know, there are a lot of woodlands in the United States, and mm-hmm. so you know, when uh, you know, in, in New Vegas, when you go up to the when you go up to Jacobstown, um, you know, it's it's all forested and snowy, and you see a bunch of super mutants there, and you're like, whoa, this is. This is really disconcerting for me. Um, I really enjoyed that part of it. You know, just the just the dichotomy between you know the the irradiated desert and this you know high mountainous, almost idyllic region that's just infested with super mutants. So um, yeah, I kind of want to uh, I, I kind of want to run a game and test it on roll d twenty with you know putting up custom isometric maps and you know throwing on tokens and you know testing out playing card initiative. And uh, like fate tokens, or not fate tokens—they're called bennies in uh, in Savage Worlds. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I want to see how well that works because if it does work really well, I'm probably going to also try to use roll d20 for our uh, when we return to space by uh, space my spacebook. Yeah, because there's a lot of there's a lot more tabletop visual for uh, for players in Fate than I expected there to be because you know in in those games you're you're creating aspects and those aspects like need to sort of be visible for players to really know that they're there and to take advantage of them
2: yeah that's a good point
0: so like you know situational aspects that you know are only there for like one scene you know hopefully you can find someone just put like a card out on you know the d20 the you know the virtual d20 tabletop be like hey this is here you mm-hmm. know this is an aspect that's currently valid in this situation focus on it you know use it as much as you like, you know, spend Benny, spend fate points on it and such. So I'm, I'm definitely interested in seeing how well roll 20 works for that, uh, that situation.
2: Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, well, I'll be happy to be your Guinea pig for any of those experiments. Wonderful. If you need, if you need a player. Sounds good. Um, <clears throat>
1: uh,
2: I had that, Made me think of something else. Oh, yeah. I'm also thinking of a uh, a new World of Darkness game. Oh, that's right. That uh, that probably will also have dragons in it. Mm. So that should be fun. Nice. Yeah.
0: I like that I'm gonna
2: idea. A, I'm going to have a stint where just everything has dragons in it, no matter what we're playing.
0: Sweet. <laughs> All I'm hoping for is some tie-ins to uh, the last World of Darkness I played for Mir. GMing standpoint.
2: Oh definitely. Yeah. I May mean, um it'll be connected in some way. There'll um, probably be some NPC crossover.
0: Sounds wonderful.
2: I left those NPCs in a really great cliffhangery kind of place. You so. really did. Yeah, so yeah. pretty. Yeah, I think I'll definitely do that. Nice. Yeah. Well let's throw in a little dragon.
0: Yeah. <laughs> why wouldn't you? I mean, if they threw right? in dragons in like Shadowrun, why shouldn't we throw in dragons in World of Darkness?
2: That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. It's going <laughs> to be like a little little Reign of Fire, a little Slenderman. Yeah, exactly. You know,
0: it'll be good. All in good fun. Yeah. <laughs> good times.
1: Well, those... Uh, yeah.
0: I would say that those are some pretty good campaign pipe dreams, and that was a lovely session talking about pacing.
2: Indeed. We'll have to... <laughs> have to bleed over we had a lot of information
0: that's right it's quite a bit more than i expected so oh man guys thank you again so much for listening this was unabashed gaming episode 37 pacing and uh yet again my name is david shim and i'm susan stewart thanks so much for tuning in just as a reminder to our listeners we here at unabashed gaming love to hear from you head over to www.unabashedgaming.blogspot.com and leave us a comment we also have a SpeakPipe link on our blog page you can leave us a message directly through your computer's microphone or headset comments questions topic ideas whatever you want to share with us all is welcome we hope to hear from you soon thanks